The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the HR status quo and how people are organized, engaged, and motivated to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, oh, I always promise you're in the right place because it's true. I know you are. What's the buzz on the street today? Well, we're talking a little Brad Paisley here to open up. No, I don't have a guitar and I'm not going to sing. Every day is a revolution. Welcome to the future. Okay, what are we talking about? Well, savvy companies, and we hope you who are listening to us all around the world here on World Talk Radio, the business channel, we hope you're included in this. But if not, that's why we're talking about it. Savvy companies are replacing their old performance management processes with new ones. Just let that sink in. What does that mean? Something is different. Something is new. It has to change. Why? They have seen the light. Let me give you a couple of revelations and the revolution because we are talking about performance management 2.0 revolution. That's right. So first revelation, annual evaluations and ratings. Hmm been around for a long time. Well, guess what? They're just not meeting the needs of the employees or perhaps even more important, the business. What's the revolution we're talking about? Oh boy. Ongoing performance manager employee dialogue. Wow. Talking to each other ongoing. That's news. Frequent coaching. That's good. And feedback. Well, what a revolution. Revelation number two. Companies are finally realizing that employees perform differently. They add value differently to the business. Yes, different levels, different people, different strengths, different weaknesses, different value. Okay, that's the revelation. Here's the revolution. Coaching, developing, evaluating, and rewarding employees differently and using something called calibration. That may be a lot for you to process. Think about it. Is your company on board yet? If they are, fine. You don't even have to listen. But I bet you they're not yet because we think this is breaking news. I have a stellar panel of experts. They are going to talk about this and help you figure out what you need to do and why you need to do it. So let me just tell you who they are and then we'll speak to them. First up, we are welcoming a newcomer to Game Changers Radio. She is Dr. Deborah Ford, F-O-R-D, just like it sounds, human capital practice at Accenture within the community. Communications, Media, and Technology Operating Group. And joining Deborah on the panel is Straussy Markham-Rosler, Solution Adoption Advisor working in SAP Success Factors, Customer Adoption Center of Expertise at SAP. Well, my goodness, that's a long title, Straussy. Big business card. Welcome. <laughs> and joining our panel, our third panelist. Oh, he's no stranger to Game Changers. He's been on so many times. I'm not going to say you could run the show, but he's welcome anytime. It's Dr. Stephen Hunt, Senior VP of Customer Value at SAP Success Factors. So where do you hear the quote Stephen has brought us today? So Dr. Deborah Ford has sent me a quote from D. Hawk. 
We had a quote from D. Hock on about a year ago. And D. Hock, let me give you background. D. Ward Hock, born in 1929, is the founder and former CEO of the Visa Credit Card Association. So he has probably touched your life or the lives of almost everyone you know in one way or another through what he did. He is the creator of something called a chaotic organization, meaning a system of organization that blends characteristics of chaos and order. It was coined by him way back in the day. Uh, he came into this whole thing about credit card processing quite by accident, and he helped invent the whole thing of Visa International. One quick note, uh, he basically decided to become a hermit or a recluse. In 1984, he severed all connections with business for a life of isolation and anonymity. You can read up about it online. Here is the quote Deborah has selected from D. Quote, simple, clear purpose and principles give rise to complex, intelligent behavior. Complex rules and regulations give rise to simple, stupid behavior. Wow. Dr. Deborah Ford, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Lovely. How are you? I'm, well, I'm lovely, too. If you want to start that, that's fine. Deborah. I love the quote. I was introduced to DHOC, as I said, by a, a panelist on another show about a year ago. And this quote is, is so clear, so simple, and yet it makes you feel almost self-conscious. So tell me, how does the quote apply to our topic today, Performance Management 2.0 Revolution? Well, what I think we're seeing is a counter-movement away from HR managing performance. And instead of using traditional methods where it takes lots of um, rigor associated with, um, you know, might might take ratings, might take a quarter, it went along with thousands of hours of manager's time and still extensive online forms or even a paper and pencil, God forbid, as people are still (laughs) using it that way. Um, participating in calibration sessions and, you know, really conducting extensive performance evaluation conversations, a lot of the time they're seeing us as too complex and top-down rules, um, and it's perhaps disingenuous and more of a box-ticking exercise. So I'm thinking that what we're seeing is individuals in HR trying to attempt to write the conditions of performance and maybe thriving to less micromanaging of managers and employees and really trying to do um, get rid of some of the extensive um, complex top-down rules that were in place before. Do you think people will be insulted by what we're talking about, what DHOC said? Do you think they're going to say, what, me? What are you talking about? My rules are perfect. They're only as complex as they need to be, and we need regulations to control people. Now you're telling me I've led to stupid behavior. you think there's going to be a, a, a backlash here of people saying, oh, yeah, that really makes sense. What do you think, Deborah? Well, you know, I saw this really great um, analogy, and they were talking about the old way of performance management as a stoplight. And at a stoplight, employees are instructed to drive when the light turns green, but at times when the light turns green, the data is kind of outdated, Um, whereas now we're really trying to go to more of a roundabout. And so employees have access to fresh information, and they have the authority to act on that information and determine when to drive. So fostering employee empowerment and agility, I think that's something that anyone can get behind. Um, this is really reinforcing more of a self-regulating system where, you know, mm-hmm. HR is less on management and more on creating the conditions to enable performance. 
Thank you. A lot more to talk about with you, and welcome again to Game Changers Radio. Now let's introduce our second panelist, also a newcomer. It's Straussy, and she and I spoke on our prep call a couple days ago, and I said, Straussy, shouldn't that have two S's in the middle? And she said, yeah, but her family spelled it with one S-T-R-A-U-S-I-E, charming name, Straussy Markham-Rossler. She's at SAP Success Factor. And Straussy, I did my best to look up the source of your quote, Irene Peter. There are quotes on her from quote of the day, and brainy quote, and not so brainy quote, and ultra brainy quote quote and wiki quote and quote wiki and everywhere there is not one bio other than somebody says she's an American writer and she was born I swear that's exactly what I found I spent 20 minutes so let me read the quote then you can tell us who Irene Peter is the quote is just because everything is different doesn't mean anything has changed Uh, amen how are you Straussy I'm doing well thanks very much you know I I probably know just about as much about uh, Irene Peter as you do she was born, and she's an, a writer. <laughs> Maybe she's a recluse. Maybe she went, you know, de-hawk on people. I don't know. But I love the quote. So how does the quote relate to our topic? Is, yes. You know, Go ahead. Yeah. Just be, you know, just because we have five generations in the workplace, oh my goodness, and the pace of, of business and, and life in general is, is really faster than ever. We've got technology that affects everything we do. It doesn't necessarily mean that humans have evolved as fast as the technology. We still have, you know, basic human, fundamental basic human psychology, where in terms of performing um, at work and managing that performance of employees, people still need to know what they're expected to do. They need to know how they're doing, how how they can do things better. So I see this really as an evolution and not so much as a revolution. Thank you. You know, Strassi, this reminds me of one of my favorite cr- French quotes, which is plus ça change, plus ça la même chose. Stephen Hunt's probably heard me say that a hundred times. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. And That's just right. because everything is different doesn't mean I think I think it's the same thing. So we will we will wax uh, in English and we will wax Francais on this one. Thank you very much. Very good point. You're welcome. Lot lot to talk about with you. And now Stephen Hunt. Well, Stephen has selected a quote from The Incredibles, a 2004 American computer animated superhero film written and directed by a gentleman named Brad Bird, B-I-R-D, produced by Pixar Animation Studios and released by, wait for it, da-da-da-da-da, Walt Disney Pictures. The film follows, I like that, the film follows a family of superheroes forced to hide their powers and live a quiet suburban life. Mr. Incredibles desire to help people draws the entire family into a battle with a villain and his killer robot. Well, it may be 2004, but we have some future looking here. Uh, The Incredibles was met with high critical acclaim. It received the 2004 Annie Award for Best Animated Feature and two Academy Awards. It became the first entirely animated film to win the prestigious Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. And Steve, I don't know if you know this, Steven, uh, The Incredibles 2 is coming out in June 21st 2019. Wow. Here's, yeah, we got a date already. Let's make a party. Here is the quote you selected. If everyone's super, no one will be. What a thought. Dr. Stephen Hunt, welcome back. How are you? Good. Thank you. Yeah, and I'd say The Incredibles. I mean, it is a movie that is, you know, they say it's a superhero or not. It's a movie about people and, and humans. And it's, you know, and my thought was one of the best movies that kind of studies. Things about natural human characteristics, like you know, Strauss was talking about some fundamental things about people, and that's what makes it such a, a great movie. It does it in a really fun, entertaining way. But, I mean, that quote, really kind of getting to one of the things I think 
we need to recognize, which is, and which gets into this issue of managing workforces and stuff, is that we are not all the same. And to treat everyone like they're all the same is not an effective way to manage a workforce, and it's not how people want to be treated. The challenge is, and this is the real challenge, is that people People are all special, but they're special in different ways, and we tend to compare ourselves, and we tend to get caught up in evaluation. And so the real challenge, as I like to say, is, you know, all employees are valuable, but some employees are more valuable than others. People recognize that. They say, yes, we should treat people differently, but we're very understandably sensitive when we're reminded of the fact we're not all the same. So on one hand, we want to be treated as individuals. On the other hand, we want to be treated consistently. And it's like, how do you balance that? And I think that's one of the real fundamental challenges of workforce management. But pretending that people are all the same is neither effective nor fair. Stephen, thank you. What's your thought on participation trophies for kids in school and in camp? Good, bad, ugly? What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) You know where I'm going with this. (laughs) Uh, Well, I think there's a time and a place for it. Again, you know, I think that's one of the things when you have kids, and and this is interesting because a lot of the research or people talk about people being afraid of evaluation and what's called sort of if people follow this fixed conceptions of ability, psychology, that is really coming down saying, oh, it's terrible to evaluate people and compare people against each other. When you have small little kids, that's probably true. You want kids thinking when they're young that they could do anything because mm-hmm. they should explore the world. That's what it is to be a child. But as you get older, the reality is we can't do anything that we want. Um, this is at the risk of political fighting. Somebody commented to me is like, we have to stop this nonsense that anyone in the United States can be president. Um, <laughs> you know, this isn't a political show, but I think you just nailed it. Thank you. And, um, <laughs> the voice you know, of reason. It, it's this reality that, is, that, that there, frankly, there are some jobs, there are some roles that some people are better suited to perform than others. That's just the facts of the world. And the challenge is, you know, assuming that, like, everyone can do anything, it's not healthy at a certain point. And the challenge is you don't want to do this too early because when kids are small, they can't. You know, you want them to explore the whole world. But as they are growing up, part of growing up is, as Clint Eastwood famously said, you know, you got to know your limitations. Don't set yourself, set yourself up, know yourself, set yourself up for success, and don't set yourself up for failure. And telling people that they're good at stuff they're not good at isn't good for them. It's not good for anyone. Well, Just Steve, know I how think to that, say it in a way that doesn't make them feel crappy. That's the hard I part. I think that's why God invented karaoke. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry because you, you know the, the drill. I, I have a friend who keeps insisting I go to karaoke with him, and I say, no, I get no pleasure from hearing people butcher songs I love, music I enjoy, and I'm certainly not going to be part of that. And I, I looked up, I, I hope not. I'm not offending anybody on the call, but the other night at 2 o'clock in the morning, I could couldn't sleep as usual, and I Googled, I hate karaoke, and I came up just out of curiosity to see if I was alone, and I, um, I found an article from one of the major newspapers in the UK from 2014, and they did a survey of their readers and said, what are the top five devices, uh, gadgets that have been invented in modern times that you hate the most, and the karaoke machine was number one, even above car alarms, above cell phones you can't turn off. They just said, no, no, no. So I know that I am not alone. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for indulging my question. We can use yes. that next time. I'll say when people say they hate performance management, I'll know they hate karaoke far more. 
<laughs> okay, uh, Deborah and Strassi, I warned you we have fun on the show, and Stephen is just aiding and abetting me, so you know you can blame him. So, uh, Deborah, Dr. Deborah Ford, we're going to circle back to you and ask a little bit of up close and personal here. This is the part of the show where I ask you, where are you calling from? If you're not on the East Coast like I am, uh, what time of day is it? And what are you drinking, or what, what would make you happy to have in your cup either now or after the show? Deborah? I am in San Francisco overlooking the very foggy Golden Gate Bridge. Um, it is fall, and so all of you true coffee connoisseurs are going to roll your eyes at me, but I am a redhead that loves myself some pumpkin spice latte. So mm. I am going to be soaking that up. Or I wish I had some right now, but none, none for me this morning. It's 11 well, I'm- I'm a redhead, too, and I haven't even thought about pumpkin spice, but I have some pumpkin spice in the cupboard, and I have an espresso machine, so maybe I will manufacture some kind of uh, what we call an Angapachka version of, of pumpkin spice coffee or latte. That sounds really good, and it's cold here in New York today. It is cold, not windy, not rainy. It's just kind of gray, but it has that, I hate to say it, that winter chill coming in, that late fall chill, and it's not even October yet. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Deborah, for a good start to this segment. Straussy, Markham, Rosler, where are you, and what are you drinking? What time is it? Well, because it's evening in Germany, of course, I would love to have a beer in my glass right now. Specifically, an alcohol-free, so a non-alcoholic, unfiltered wheat beer. And I can say this is purely for medicinal purposes because a few <laughs> weeks ago I went to a doctor and he was asking me, oh, do you work out? And I told him what I did. And he says, oh, you know, what's really good after you have a strenuous um, workout is a wheat beer. And I said, really? Why is that? So he told me about these polyphenols from the yeast strain that help with blah, 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 blah. And I thought, okay, only in Germany would a doctor recommend that I have beer. <laughs> But that's what I would have. I love it. I just Google wheat beer. It's a beer usually top fermented, brewed with a large portion of wheat relative to the amount of malted barley. The two main varieties are Weissbier, W-E-I-S-S-B-I-E-R, and Wittbier, W-I-T-B-I-E-R. Minor types include Lambic, Berliner Weiss, and Ghost, G-O-S-E. My goodness, did I hit it right? Yes? Yeah, perfect. We got it. Very interesting. What does it taste like? Like normal beer? Oh, it's very mild. Um, it's it's almost got a um, sort of a bittersweet, but very mild. It's it's nice, especially in a beer garden on a sunny day. <laughs> ah, I have to think about that one. We'll be right over. Thank you. And Dr. Stephen Hunt, where are you calling from, and what are you drinking? Uh, Portland, Oregon. It's beautiful here, and I'm drinking Starbucks coffee. And what flavor and what size? Come on, there's more to Starbucks uh, than just coffee. What are we doing? Uh, it's actually my own cup. I just made it at home, and it's uh, Kenya. Oh, nice. Anything you add to it? Any flavoring or sweetening or milk or cream? Ice? Um, anything? Milk. Always milk. I think it's more just for the color than anything else. But- ah, okay. <laughs> I'm assuming that's, is that whole milk or you got a 1% or almond milk? Anything special? <laughs> I have it whole milk if I can get it, but uh, my my wife makes sure that we make healthy choices in our house, so I rarely get whole milk. 
Okay. <laughs> Good for her. We'll tell her once in a while. It just makes the coffee look a little prettier to have less than watery milk. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, Stephen knows this. He might remember this. Deborah and Strassi don't know me, but they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. Thursday is a doubleheader. We just did a live edition of The Future of Business with Game Changers this morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. And my title of that show was Three Futurists Walk Into a Bar. Dot, dot, dot. And we had a really good time spending the whole show predicting the future. Great show. And uh, it's on. We've got some links here on hashtag SAP Radio on Twitter. I'm speaking today with Dr. Deborah Ford, Straussy Markham Rosler, Dr. Stephen Hunt. Our topic today is a very important one for every company. I was teasing at the beginning of the show saying, well, if you already know this, don't listen. Of course, we want you to listen because even if you're already doing what we call performance management 2.0 and you're on board for the revolution, there may be some insights and some expertise you're going to glean from my panelists that you don't have yet in-house and you might say, aha, that's what we're looking for. So the full title of this episode, Performance Management 2.0 Revolution, Engaging the Entire Talent Spectrum. Aha, that's a mouthful. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back with our roundtable. And I'm going to say to our engineer, Michael out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. From setting up the right structures, enabling technology, and compliant operations, to hiring, developing, and cultivating a culture of success, SAP SuccessFactors is excited to be your partner in redefining what human resources can deliver to business leaders. Changing the Game with HR brings you insights from the movers and shakers who are making this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges from the boardroom to the shop floor and learn what is working and what has to change, all to help you change HR from transactional to transformational. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top human resources business and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how human resources leaders are shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Changing the Game with HR. Yes, indeed. That's exactly what we're doing. And I have to make a little announcement here. This is episode number 10 in the series that my colleague and Stephen's, Steve's colleague at SAP Success Factors, Dr. Patty Fletcher, has been sponsoring with me. And little birdie told me that Patty is going to renew the series starting in early 2017. So we're just finishing up this season. The uh, Everything we did will be available for the rest of the year on demand on podcast. And then we will start up with a new season in January. So there. We're going to 
start the roundtable with Dr. Deborah Ford at Accenture. Deborah sent me something very provocative in her notes before the show. Let's see where this goes. She says, in Accenture's research, we identified five strategies that have been used in various degrees within the emerging trend to increase employee engagement and accelerate employee performance. And the first one I'll just read and then I'll have Deborah go into it. Developing people through real-time coaching and feedback. Deborah, tell us more, please. Well, we actually um, spent a good amount of time sifting through lots of academic literature, the mainstream media, and academic research. Um, and we also did a number of large interviews with CHROs and HR leaders from a lot of our clientele. And we asked them to tell us what were the changes they were making now, what were the changes they were planning in the future, and what were the motivation strategies and the struggles that they were trying, they were having during this process. And Overwhelmingly, everyone was really reinforcing real-time coaching and feedback, along with four other trends that we we saw um, predominantly emerge over and over again. Um, this makes a lot of sense, and uh, of what Strassi was alluding to is some things are not a revolutionary. This is not something that has just emerged and is um, a new trend. And not it's a new trend, but it's not a new founding. Like we know that feedback helps improve performance. Um, over time and more frequent focused feedback and goal setting will really help to improve motivation substantively. So what we're seeing is that people are just trying to take a concerted effort and what I would say kind of in, intentionally decoupling the rewards conversation with the rate, the rewards and rating conversation from the developmental feedback conversation. So those developmental conversations are really being reinforced over and over repeatedly where, where you're not having to discuss all of the rewards and compensation in hopes that it will make it more receptive and developmental for the employees. Okay, let's get Strassi's feedback on this. Strassi, what do you think? Agree, disagree, any insights you want to add to this research? I have to agree, and I think it's a much more natural approach to managing people's performance. I mean, why do we have HR involved in, in helping managers manage performance in the first place? But be, it's because, you know, HR are the people champions. They're supposed to put processes in place to make sure that employees are effective. And so they've put together these, you know, somewhat rigid processes that are kind of unnatural, you know. It's event management rather than performance management. So I like this trend towards more natural, ongoing dialogue. Um, and, of course, that's, that's a challenge for some managers who are not necessarily in the management position because they're good people managers. They need to be developed. They need to be coached themselves in how to be good coaches. Very good point. We can talk about that more. Thank you. Steve Hunt, what do you think? Yeah, I would I would build on that. I, I agree that you know we don't want these unnatural processes and the traditional sort of event driven annual process. You know, didn't really do anything to create this ongoing conversation. But as Strassi pointed out, most companies have a lot of managers that were you know promoted into management positions for things other than their managerial skill, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so just wishing that they would do ongoing coaching and encouraging doesn't mean it's going to happen. I do think we need to have some sort of process and method in place to basically make sure that managers are actually managing. Um, and there is technology. This is where technology is helping a lot because uh, sort of the new, the next evolution that's already out in the market of performance management technology is interesting. I liken it to like the Fitbit for health. 
You know, mm-hmm. what does a Fitbit actually do? It reminds you you should exercise. Right. <laughs> and it keeps track of if you have exercised, and it kind of gives you ongoing feedback, you know, and you can have apps that sort of tell you what kind of exercise you might want to do. But it basically coaches you and lets you monitor your own behavior. Um, I think that's where technology is helping a lot. It's basically saying, you know, historically companies, they, they didn't really expect managers to manage. They say, yeah, you should, but they didn't measure them. They didn't hold them accountable for it. They didn't give them tools to make sure they were having good coaching conversations. That's changing, and that's changing in a very positive way. Thank you, Steve. Uh, Deborah, you want to wrap this up? I have some other topics I want to cycle through from the notes from Straussy and Steve. So any thoughts on what your colleagues on the panel just added? No, I think it sounds really good. I'd throw in the caveat that we really need to put an onus on employees as well to drive those conversations because it's a two-way street with both the supervisors and the employees doing information and, you know, feedback-seeking behaviors as well is really going to help everything out. It's a whole cultural change. I think that's what's kind of um, pushing through right now. It's, it's not new. It's just getting more emphasis now. Deborah, are millennials driving this? Are they the ones who are coming into jobs and saying to managers, hey, how often are we going to talk? How much feedback are you going to give me? What kind of coaching? That's what I want when I came here. Are they, they demanding it or are they, uh, not? I do think that we have this desire, like our organ, our daily lives are, are impacted with Twitter feeds and Yelp-like reviews. And so I think millennials are interested in that transparency and in that immediacy of feedback. So there's definitely some of that going on, but I think it might be a generational um, shift, but also just our culture is changing. There's certainly a lot of things that millennials are getting attributed to pushing, but I certainly am not a millennial anymore, but I love some of the, the, the trends that we're going toward. Thank you very much. Strassi, I'm looking at your notes. I like numbers. Everybody relates to numbers. I'm looking at your first set of statements here when you say 71% of companies claim their performance management is already effective. So, Strassi, tell us more. Where did this research come from? And uh, are they living, uh, like I like to say, are they living under a rock? Are they not aware? Is nobody telling them this is not? Is this breaking news what we're talking about today? Strassi, why don't you run with this? Yeah, it's not breaking news. Um, I mean, it's, there's lots of studies out there that show that the revenue is um, higher in companies that have effective performance management processes in place. Um, employee engagement is also higher in those organizations. So this is, this is nothing new. Um, but what's changing is, like Deborah was saying, is kind of the focus, right? We're saying managers, employees, you need to take accountability. You need to drive this process. It's not an HR-driven initiative, this is something that benefits you. And in doing so, in, in creating this difference in focus, this shift, we have to explain to them, well, what's in it for me? For each stakeholder group that we're asking them to do something differently, we have to understand, you know, why they might challenge that, um, what, what is going to um, encourage them to make this shift, how are they going to, they're going to benefit, basically. And so it's really about empowering employees and managers to take ownership of the process. Okay, and I'm going to ask you the same question. You think millennials are the ones who are saying, knock, 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 hello, HR, hello, CHRO, hello, my manager. I don't think this is working so well. We need to revolutionize this. Is, you see a drive yeah, coming from a, millennials? Yeah, there's a, there's a great German word. It's yain, which is a combination of ja and nein, yes and no. So yes and no. Mm. It's, um, millennials, of course, 
are used to that immediate feedback, and sometimes it's a little bit too much feedback or oversharing, right? But um, I think all generations really benefit from that feedback and that ongoing um, dialogue about, you know, what am I, how am I doing? And, and not just from the manager, but um, reaching out to people in their team because there's a lot of team-based work in organizations and not just, you know, people working at their desks with their heads down. So we need to take that perspective as well. Thank you. Steve Hunt, talk to us. What do you think? Well, I think on the sorry, you're a millennial. I think I think what's happening, and uh, you know, in these changes, and it's a couple of things. First of all, I think we talk about performance management. We have to realize there's two very distinct sides of it. There's this side about sort of, of you know, deciding who are the high impact people in our company and who do we want to invest in more. And people want to know how companies make decisions, like how much are you going to pay me. They want to understand mm-hmm. what the rules of the game are. They want clear expectations, and so transparency. And I think that is something that actually. Millennials, I think, have more of an expectation because they've grown up in such a transparent world where everyone knows everything all the time. So I think there is more of this expectation for transparency among uh, younger generations just because they've grown up with it more. Um, the, you know, so I think that's one of the things that's driving it. But the other side of performance management, this idea around more natural coaching, ongoing support, I don't think that's being driven so much by millennials. I think everyone wanted it. I think the difference is that, you know, when... We, well, I don't think any of us are millennials, but when we joined the workforce, nobody got it. So we didn't get it. We probably wanted it. We were like, how come nobody's giving me feedback? But nobody did. You thought, I guess that's the way the world works. So I think you've got, you know, in people just entering the labor market, they they haven't... They haven't grown cynical and, and jaded yet, um, and so <laughs> oh, just wait. <laughs> yeah, just, just wait. Time will beat it out of them. <laughs> Steve, in the old um, days, your performance feedback was you had a job the next day every day you came to work. That, that was performance well, management, wasn't it? We hired you, yeah, show up, okay. You're hitting on something, I think, Bonnie, that's a really important point, actually, though, which is what I think is one of the big changes why this is being driven by companies, is mm-hmm. that. In the modern labor market, one, if you're highly skilled, employees are a lot more voluntary. They'll quit if they don't think the job's right, and I'm talking about highly skilled employees. And so companies are realizing we need to, we can't control employees with this sort of like, you must work for us and we will give you money, and if you don't work, we won't give you money, because employees now are more like, I can get another job, you know, especially Mm -hmm. if I'm highly skilled, high-performing. So you've got to engage me, and you're going to engage me through conversation. The other thing is, though, even for jobs, even like I'd say um, less skilled jobs or jobs where maybe employees do need the work, companies can't afford to pay people and just have them show up. In the modern economy, you've got to compete with service, better quality, a lot of what are voluntary behaviors. An employee shows up at work, they can decide whether or not they want to smile, though. They'll get paid either way. Well, they're going to (laughs) smile if they're treated better. And so I think a lot of what's happening is, there's much more of a voluntary component that companies are recognizing that employees don't work for us because they have to. We need them to do things because they want to. I think that is certainly a, a revolutionary, a revelation and a revolutionary discovery. Let's circle around the table to Dr. Deborah Ford at Accenture. Deborah, agree or disagree with what we've been talking about? I absolutely agree. I think that the transparency issue is going to be even more tantamount and become even more of a presence when we start thinking about some of the gender discrepancies or the um, minority um, differences in pay. There's really being a call out to see, you know, if you show transparency, it can actually highlight some poor decisions and potentially, um, you know, 
expose some of the inadequacies. And we know that people who, if you don't give them the information, they're going to assume the worst. So um, we have this wonderful underlying negativity, I guess, where if you don't tell us, we're just going to kind of make up our own assumptions. And sometimes those assumptions are not great assumptions to make. So Mm -hmm. the transparency thing, I think, is really going to catch on more and more. Okay, and Strassi, let's wrap this around with you. Any thoughts on what Deborah and Steve have added? Um, yeah, I would I would just say that you know once again this is an evolution. It's not a revolution, and it's it's a more natural way of approaching um, human communication. Really, it's less um, sort of a command from HR coming down, and and more of an organic process um, between employees and managers. Thank you very much. I'm going to move to some comments here from Steve Hunt. Steve, the calibration word I mentioned in my opening statements, I'd love to dive into that. And I'm seeing here you have a couple topics. Number one, you say the relationship between performance management and calibration is a hot topic. And then you say we're seeing a real movement toward continuous calibration. What kind of measurement is it? What is calibration? Is this a, 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 a C-H-R-O-H-R-M-S, whatever the organization is, I'm sorry, SHRM, S-H-R-M? Is this a standard? Is this something each company comes up with? Talk to us about calibration. Yeah, well, I think this gets, and I said earlier, that performance management, there's really two distinct sides. They're related, but they're very distinct. One side, which most people are talking about, is we need more ongoing coaching and feedback and dialogue. And that is not about evaluating people against each other. That's about managers and employees having good conversations about what am I doing well, what could I change, what could I do more effectively, that sort of thing, what are my expectations. But there's another side of performance management, which is really total workforce management, which is, you know, companies have limited amounts of resources they can invest in people, whether that's pay, development opportunities, staffing assignments, promotions. Basically, you know, these are the trophies and not everyone can get them, right, (laughs) if you will. And... There has to be an inherent level of comparing. You know, you want to invest more in people that contribute more to your organization. That this is good business sense. I think most people would agree that's also more fair. If somebody provides more, they should get more rewards. Um, and so the, the challenge is figuring out who are these people that are contributing more, whether that's in terms of their performance, their potential, the skills they have, whatever, you know, who are these? Well, what companies are realizing is it, the historical way of doing this, having an annual rating, didn't really work very well. And it didn't work because, one, often you needed to make these decisions about staffing and things, you know, they, they happened during the course of the year. And as the pace of change is accelerating, you can't wait to the end of the year to make decisions of it tied to workforce investment because the workforce is changing all the time. So they say we need to do this more ongoing. We can't wait for an end of the year kind of thing. And the other thing is that there is a lot of research that has shown this, that managers, when they rate somebody's performance, it's not that they aren't accurate. They're accurate. I mean, if you design the process right, they can be accurate, but their accuracy will always be limited to their perspective. They can only evaluate employees on the things they see those employees do. Mm-hmm. Yet a lot of the things that drive performance are not related to what the employee does relative to their manager, but it's what the employee does relative to other people in the organization. So like really, if you, and so what a calibration session does is it brings together multiple people who talk about, well, what is effective performance in this company? What are the things we really value? And who are the people that really display them? And usually a big part of what they value is cross-functional collaboration 
So having people come together and talk about that, and it's like, I remember one calibration session I was in where managers said, you know, one manager was going, well, you know, I think this guy's good, but he's not phenomenal. Then everyone else said, no, you've got to see what he does for our team. He doesn't just get his work done. He gets his work done in a way that makes everyone around him more successful. Mm. And the manager wasn't able to see that. So that's what calibration is. It's really bringing decision makers and leaders in the organization together to collectively talk about, one, what do we mean by performance? Because there's different things that can define performance, so we have a shared definition of it, and a collaborative discussion to make sure that when we're looking at talent in a workforce, we're looking at it holistically, and we're not looking at it from just, you know, each manager's individual perspective. Very interesting. Whose job is it to get them together, Steve? Is this something that's just like a, a quarterly powwow? Oh, Bob's been well. I don't think Bob's doing Yeah, Bob's doing a great job. Okay, everybody who knows Bob, who's at a level at least above Bob, is going to get in the lunchroom at 5 o'clock when everybody's gone, if you have a workplace where everybody leaves at 5 o'clock, excuse me, and or we're all going to get on a Skype chat. We're going to say, oh, who has observed Bob interfacing with the other employees and what has he done for the team? How does it work? Well, there's lots of ways it can work, but it really, to be most successful, it comes to do it well, it is a partnership between human resources and leadership. Um, human resources, because these are the experts in kind of how to go through the process of defining and evaluating performance and sort of facilitating an effective decision. It's a little bit like, and then leadership, because they're the ones who own this talent, right? It's a little bit like, you know, the budgeting process, if you will, where finance facilitates the process of looking at the budget, but ultimately the people that make the budgeting decisions, you know, are the actual operation leaders who decide, you know, this this is where we should invest the money here, or that the finance facilitates that conversation. And the, <clears throat> the companies that do well, it is very much driven by leadership. A matter of fact, uh, a great example, um, I once had a chance to talk to a person who was, you know, chairman of a very large bank, and he said when he traveled around, the very first thing he did when he got to a new geography or a new region is he had a calibration session, because he said that told me everything that's going on in that region, because mm-hmm. I'd ask, who are the people that are doing really well, who are the people that are struggling, and then we talk about why they are, and that gave me a sense of what was happening in the business. And help me understand if the things that are going well that are struggling, is it an issue of our strategies off or is it an issue of the people that are performing it? And he said, you know, you can't look at one without looking at the other. And so he said, talking about people, he said, at the end of the day, too, he goes, that's the biggest resource that I can control. You know, we're not going to change the world by sending out PowerPoint presentations and emails. We will change the world by putting different people in different roles. Oh, that's a revelation. I'm only teasing. Thank you very much. Let's go. Oh, PowerPoints. Good. And emails. Wow. Dr. Deborah Ford at Accenture. Love for you to comment on. I kept Stephen on the mic here for quite a while because I was so intrigued with the concept of calibration. What are your thoughts on this? What do you observe from your point of view at Accenture? Deborah? Well, I think he, he hit it right on the money. Like, I will echo everything he just said. But I also think that there is an opportunity to introduce some technology to this to help improve and highlight and get those inputs on in more real time. You're seeing, you know, lots of individuals use technology to capture check-ins and contributions and feedback and transparency, and it all makes it more real time. It makes it more accessible. Um, you can have employees input their strengths and skills and passions in, in an app so that, you know, a coach has that at their fingertips. They can have insights and prompts and um, potentially see what others are saying. I feel that it, um, you know, we're in this nice, lovely digital age where I just think that 
we could think about this, but we're um, it's happening in person and I think more organically. I think it can happen. But you're also seeing people working in these global environments where we're not all in the same place and we're across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that we really could use, think of ways of pivoting this and using technology to make it more nimble and more accessible. And Thank we, you. And, you know, change the culture yep. and kind of make and, it a part of the fabric. And you hit on something, remote employees working, a distributed workforce, I guess the term is where people are working digitally, virtually, like me. I haven't set foot in an office at SAP maybe once in the past eight months to a year. Um, how do you do that calibration with remote employees? How do you gather the troops to say, well, how is Bonnie doing? Is she supporting the team? Is she interacting with people? Who would know how many email conversations I'm having other than on team calls? You want to just weigh in on that, Deborah? Then we'll get Strassi and Steve to comment as well. Not on me personally, but on the idea of remote employees. (laughs) Hello. I do think it is challenging. And in some cases, you have to rely on some input from the individuals. Tell us what your results were. And we are relying on results. Tell us what what you accomplished and show us those work products. And then some of our higher-end knowledge work, that's a little bit more challenging um, for us to demonstrate our value in quantitative words and quantitative ways. But I think that it's important for us to get those inputs from individuals as where they can, you know, in a profile or in some way capture, hey, let me tell you what I've done. Um, because in some instances, they might not know. I can fairly well tell you that Maybe my um, bosses might not know I'm doing this program unless I tell them I was doing it. They may catch it, they may not, but I'll be sure to let them know. Here's how I get the word out of all this great work and all of this revolution going on. So I think that that's how we're going to have to get around some of that. But I do think we have to be creative, um, and I do think we have to make it our concerted duty and opportunity to really get that information and give the pe- give employees the recognition that they deserve without watering it down. We don't want to say that everyone just did good um, to um, Steve's point. We're not all superheroes, but really recognizing where we all have strengths and where we all have added value and where our contributions are. And I think that really is the undertone for most employees. They want to walk away from their job feeling like, I contributed to something and I have value to this and it's appreciated. And I think a lot of people underestimate the value of that. Yeah, and, and, and it sounds like the employees who are working remotely have to be their own best advocates and figure out how For to let sure. their managers know this is what I'm doing. I may not be visible, but this is what I'm contributing. Interesting, very interesting. Uh, Straussy, love to get your thoughts on this. What do you see? Yeah, I, I agree with Deborah, and having been a remote worker for the last nine years now, I absolutely mm-hmm. think that um, employees, individuals need to be their own advocates and tell their managers what they're doing, um, tell them what their achievements are. And I also think that setting clear expectations, goals, whether it has to do with you know outcomes or behaviors, that plays a really significant role so that I can, when I'm having that conversation with my manager, I can say, okay, related to this thing that I'm supposed to achieve, this is what I've been doing, here's what I've achieved so far, um, like what a great job I did, you know, or what my team did. And so I think that um, setting expectations is incredibly important regardless of what te- technology you use, but the ongoing dialogue um, applications that are being developed and, and, and rolled out recently certainly can help that. So I don't have to remember seven months ago, okay, what did I do? Um, and then try to highlight that achievement that's almost, you know, forgotten. 
So I think that helps. The technology definitely can play a role. Thank you. Steve Hunt, you started this. What do you think? What's your approach to remotely working employees? What about the self-advocacy versus bragging? And how do you keep track of what they're doing? What, what's your best advice on this? A lot of this requires you to be very clear yep. about what you want people to do, but then not micromanage them. Um, you know, there was, a, there was something called managing by walking around. It was like this philosophy of managing that managers should get up and walk around and get out of their office and look at what people are doing. And, you know, I'm not saying that's a bad thing per se, but if you think about it, managing by walking around, um, one, it's a lousy way to manage if you have employees like I've had in my career on three different continents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a long walk. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the, the other thing is... Um, it really is, it, it, you know, when you look at effective management of people, one of the things employees really want to know is they want to have ownership for something. Tell me very clearly what it is you want me to do so that I can go about doing it. And they don't have to ask you all the time if I'm making progress. If you really define somebody's goals really well, it's like to say, you should define people's jobs well enough so that to say, I could tell whether or not you were being successful without ever watching you. Mm. That there are tangible things that you have ownership for doing and that, you know, in a lot of jobs, you know, that's what people want to know. They want to own something. They want to have, you know, ownership for it. And they want to know why it's important. They want to have that. I think that's where virtual work really helps because managers have to do this. They can't be, like, constantly looking over a person's shoulder and saying, no, don't do that, do this, do that. Um, I think the – and this is where technology helps a lot. I mean, virtual work wouldn't be possible without technology. I think the challenge on virtual work is that employees don't be, feel forgotten. And this is particularly an issue in companies that have a split of on-site and virtual mm-hmm. workers. Uh, and there's a lot of research on this, that you really have to make sure that, you know, the companies tend to treat people differently, whether or not they're on-site or virtual, and, you know, really making sure that the virtual workers feel connected. And that's where I think social collaborative technology helps a lot. And to Deborah's point, having technology that allows people to when they accomplish something, it gets noticed, it gets recognized, it gets tracked. Very, very important. Thank you. I'm going to, we have just about oh, two minutes until we go into our predictions round. And uh, Deborah Ford, I'm looking at your quote from DHOC, and I'm looking at my notes here on DHOC, the uh, founder and former CEO of the Visa Credit Card Association. And I mentioned in my opening about DHOC, he came up with the idea of a chaotic organization, referring to a system of organization that blends characteristics of chaos and order. So let me just branch this out a little bit and get a quick comment from the three of you, starting with Deborah Ford, then Strassi, then Steve Hunt. And the question is, are we talking about, I'll call it the the revelations I've presented in the beginning, the wild, wild west, the original versions of how does HR manage talent? How do you get them in? How do you nurture them? How do you evaluate them? How do you calibrate their contributions? And was that the wild west? And I'm defining that as the chaos versus now we're talking about performance management 2.0. Is that the order? Can we draw a parallel or am I stretching this rubber band so hard it's going to smack me in the face? Deborah Ford, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think that we might be going the other way around, and it might not be so much as embracing chaos, but we might be loosening the reins a little bit. And I, mm. <clears throat> I think that in some of the extreme cases, what you're seeing is HR giving managers a bucket um, of budget in which they can allocate resources, and they have the freedom to allocate those resources in any which way that they feel that is their unit's priorities and the employee's performance. And there's an intentional lack of tools, there's little documentation, and there's little guidance from HR. So they're 
pretty much loosening up the reins completely. And that's an extreme case in most instances. You do see organizations holding on to those calibration sessions, which really, you know, gives me solace. And I, I, I really makes me feel a little bit more um, at ease with all of the changes is if they retain some of those calibration sessions, which I feel like are very vital um, to the validity of all of this, of their systems. So I think we're kind of going a little bit more loosening the reins, less rules, a little bit more freedoms to managers. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, Strassi, let's get your quick comments on this real quick because we're technically we're in the predictions round. You know what? Strassi, I'm going to let you start predictions. We'll circle back to Deborah. So I'm going to give you a minute to talk about anything you want, but with an eye on the future. Are we going toward or away from chaotic organizations? Are we giving managers more freedom to hire talent, to nurture them, grow them, coach them, feedback them, and all of that good stuff? Where are we heading with this topic, and how far in the future can you predict? Strassi? Yeah. Well, Deborah beat me to the punch. I agree that we're actually going in the other direction. So, um, you know, Bonnie, you said HR is managing the talent of the organization. We shouldn't have HR managing talent. We should have the people managers managing the talent. HR is an enabling function that puts processes in place to help the organization do that. Um, But in terms of performance management 2.0, I think that the concept of trust within organizations will become even more important to to tend to, to foster, to develop, because people are expecting both more autonomy and and responsibility and ownership is what Steve was talking about, and also transparency, because they're used to that outside of the workplace, and so they bring those expectations to work. And so if I'm expected to receive feedback from, you know, anyone I work with, then I need to trust those people to have my best interests at heart, in order for me to be able to even listen to hear that feedback so I can grow. So 2020, what will change about that? Will we be more in line with what you just said? Is it coming? I think so. I think with the pendulum's going to swing back and forth, just like with the Internet, transparency um, was you know really big at first, and now people are really concerned about data security and identity management. So I think it's going to kind of go back and forth before we settle on um, managers and employees are adults. Let's treat them as such. Let's give them responsibility for this very important um, process. Thank you very much. And Steve Hunt, I can give you a full 60 seconds for your predictions. What do you see well, coming down the pike? Well, I think the prediction pike? is going to be building on this. That we're seeing this move to transparency, which I think is a key word, and expectations with freedom. So it's like companies will say, look, we have some real clear expectations, like there should be a relationship between pay and performance, and you should not have systematic bias against certain groups. And then we are going to let managers you know, give them tools to make these decisions have these conversations, but then say, we want a lot of transparency about how you make decisions. You get to make the decision, but we get to watch why you do it and how you do it, and you need to be able to explain it. Because what we know doesn't work, one, is trying to over-constrain it doesn't work for sure, telling them, you know, follow some formula, that doesn't work. But we also know that if you leave people to their own devices, bad things can really happen. Um, there's like companies that can point to some pretty major lawsuits of what happens when you let managers just pay people based on their subjective opinions with no oversight. Um, it's not a good thing. And so I think, you know, the, what I'd say is clarity of expectations, transparency around decision-making, and freedom around everything else. I like that a lot. Thank you, Steve Hunt. Deborah Ford, I did not forget you circling around the table. I can give you 60 seconds exactly for predictions. What do you see? Okay. I went George Jetson-like, and I really went on technology. 
we're already seeing technology inform people's behaviors and driving and, you know, checkout stands. But there is a plethora of wearable technology giving feedback on underlying factors that influence job performance, such as health, nutrition, social behaviors, and even more direct business use, like whether they're paying attention or are there, uh, do they have the bandwidth for a new project? Are they improved creativity? Um, I have one example with Bank of America. They used rich ID badges to track employees' mood, location, tone of voice, body language, and communication patterns. And they were able to reevaluate how they assigned breaks to um, improve performance and, and increase um, um, costs or, or decrease costs, excuse me. So I really think that in the far, far future, we're going to see more and more technology and more George Jetson-like um, kind of gadgets involved in um, tracking our mood, stress, happiness in, in the high-tech, more knowledge-based region. We're already seeing it in more operational roles. Wow. Big brother, big sister. Is that big mommy or daddy who's going to be tracking everything we say? <laughs> There's definitely I don't know a little bit of creep factor that comes in when you start Thank you. It, yes. I'm here. I'm here for the reality check. I want to thank the three of you. It's been a very lively conversation. I certainly learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners around the world did. Dr. Deborah Ford at Accenture, real pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for your time and insert, insights and inserting into the conversation. Straussy Markham Rosler, a pleasure. Don't be a stranger. Come back and talk to us and Dr. Steve Hunt. And by the way, I have to mention that Steve, we go to his bio real fast. Steve, you've got a couple books out, Steve, right? You want to quickly give the names of your, your books real fast? Yeah, Common Sense Talent Management, which is a guide for using human resources to increase workforce performance. And this other book is called Hiring Success, which is the art and science of staffing assessment and employee selection. So Wonderful. Everybody go look for them. I have to end here, so I'm going to say thank you and a shout-out to Michael, our engineer at World Talk Radio, for getting us on the air. And uh, we have to do a shout-out to Lara Albert at SAP for putting together this great panel and Dr. Patty Fletcher, who is the sponsor of this series. Patty, we're coming and back in 2017. Don't even think about it. It's going to be great. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest... 